You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Galatians chapter 1 is where we're going to be at. We're continuing our series entitled Only Jesus. Uh, we're going verse by verse through the book of Galatians. This is message number, I think number four uh, in this series. So if, you, uh, if you've missed any of the message so far, you're not too far behind. You can still get caught up. Uh, we're just going verse by verse through the book of Galatians. Uh, just to give you a, a little bit of review before we jump into the text for tonight. Uh, the book of Galatians was written to not one church. Uh, for example, the church at Thessalonica received two letters, First and Second Thessalonians. The church at Corinth received two letters, First and Second Corinthians. Uh, the, there was no church at Galatia per se. There was a multitude of churches that were there. And so this letter was written to the churches, plural, of Galatia. Uh, and so this would have been Derby and Lystra, Iconium, some other churches that were there that we know of for sure. And it was kind of a shotgun letter. Hey, I want all the churches to know this thing that's going on here. Uh, and Paul wrote it because he wanted to deal with some false teaching. I was, uh, it, it's the craziest thing. Let me just help you with something. Read your Bible like every day because as you read the Bible every day, you're gonna find things that you never thought of before, that you never really uh, clicked with you before. And sometimes it's things that are very, very simple. Uh, for me, uh, this morning, I was reading through First uh, and Second Peter and, uh, and Peter is writing in Second Peter and he says, beware of false teachers because there's some men that have crept in unaware that want to make you their merchandise. They're looking to make a buck off of you. Be very careful with that. And for the craziest thing that happened to me, it just clicked to me. The majority of the New Testament is either here's what God says or beware of false teachers. You take a look at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians was written to uh, dispute false teaching. You take a look at 1 John. It was written to dispute false teaching. Uh, you take a look at 2 Peter. It was written to dispute false teaching. The book of Galatians was written to dispute false teaching. And so this idea that false teaching or bad theology is a new problem that we have in our society today couldn't be further from the truth. It's been taking place since the very beginning of the church. Know this, as long as there has been truth, there has been the devil who wants to bring about error. You go back to the Garden of Eden. There was a truth. Don't eat the tree. Don't mess with it. Did God really say that, though? Did God say that you couldn't even touch it? Come on, he didn't really say that since the very beginning of time. So this letter that Paul writes is to combat false teaching. And Paul is very um, stern about this. He's very serious about it. I mentioned in weeks past that most of Paul's letters that he writes usually gives a word of commendation first off. Hey, you guys are doing a great job in this area, but you need to take a step up over here. There is no word of commendation in the book of Galatians. From the very beginning, he says, I cannot believe that you guys so quickly were taken away from a true gospel to a false gospel. And I believe that Paul is seriously upset about this because we're not just talking about, like, say, for example, 1 Corinthians, people messing around with spiritual gifts, people saying that they had a gift when they really didn't and kind of faking it. We're not dealing with uh, drama inside the church with people not getting along like we see again in 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're not seeing uh, the writings like we see of James where James is encouraging people to watch what they say and be careful with the words that they use and, to, and things along those lines. We're dealing with the most important doctrine in all of the Bible, the gospel. The gospel is life and death. The Bible, uh, the, the gospel is heaven or hell. The gospel is Jesus Christ's payment for my sin or God's wrath and judgment poured out on me for all of eternity. That's a series of messages you can, can mess with. And so when you're messing with the most serious doctrine of the entire Bible, Paul takes it very personally. That's where we find ourselves tonight, Galatians chapter one, uh, starting in verse number one. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from the, our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for us, for our sins, that he might deliver us 
in this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul starts off verse number one. Here's who I am, Paul. And he's, he's not being arrogant when he says, neither of men or by men. I don't need your check mark that you agree with me. I don't need to know that you're on my side. You didn't make me an apostle. Jesus Christ himself made me an apostle. And we're going to give glory to God through this is verses two through five. But then verse number six, he, he, he brings it out. He, he puts the gloves on and he gets down to business. I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you unto the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. Know this, there's only one true gospel. That's it. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what your grandma's opinion is. There is one gospel. That's it. So if there is one true gospel, everything else that purports to be the gospel is a false gospel. This is really important because we live in a pluralistic society today that says whatever you believe is okay for you, I'll believe on what's okay for me, and we can just both be right. The problem is it doesn't work that way. If I say two plus two is four and you think two plus two is three, we can't both be right. Somebody has to be right, somebody has to be wrong. And know this, the Bible is always right, 100% of the time, without fail. There is a true gospel, everything else is a false gospel. We have to be clear on that because we're gonna get into some heavy stuff in just a minute where you might look at it with a... uh, a humanistic mindset that, well, they're just doing things a little bit differently, where they just believe a little bit differently than we do on a couple of other points, but we all agree to the same. It's not the same because if it's not the true gospel, it is a false gospel. I wanna be very clear on that. Paul says, verse number seven, which is not another, there's no other gospel, but there's some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel. But though we... Or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you that we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. As we said before, so I say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Paul's very clear on this. If there's another gospel, they can take it. The word accursed means they can take that gospel to hell where it belongs. Because, friend, if you believe in a false gospel, you will perish and spend eternity separated from God in a real place called hell that burns with real fire. That's where the false gospel leads. Friends, that's why tonight, let me just help you with something. I love to have fun in church. I believe if you can't have fun in church, you can't have fun anywhere, okay? I like to tell jokes. I like to tell funny stories. My jokes are funny to me. They're never funny to anybody else, but I like telling them anyways, right? Uh, But here's the thing about tonight's message. Tonight's message is one of those that's so serious. There's not a lot of jokes in tonight's message. And I don't want my love for the gospel and my commitment to defend the gospel to the death to ever come across as anger in any way whatsoever. It's just really serious. When Paul writes here, he's not writing out of spirit of anger. He's writing out of love. And when we warn out of love, sometimes it can come across as anger, but please don't misunderstand my heart. I'm just passionate about the gospel. I hate the devil. I hate false gospel. I hate false religion. I hate false teaching. I hate every bit of it. But please never let that come across as I'm angry with a person or I'm angry at anybody. I just want to share my passion with you and I want you to also be as passionate about the gospel as well first thing we have to do is we have to define terms. The word gospel gets thrown around a lot. The gospel gets applied to a lot of things that aren't really the gospel at all. Uh, a buzzword in, in a lot of church literature today is the word gospel-centered, which um, the idea is that everything revolves around the gospel, but oftentimes that's not really the case. So we need to understand what is the gospel. First of all, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection for Jesus for the sins of man. The gospel is this. You and I have sinned against the holy God. We've broken his law, not once or twice, but at every opportunity that we get, we choose to go our own way because we are sinners at the core. We are born sinners. The Bible says in Romans chapter five, for sin came into the world through Adam and death has passed upon all men for all men have sinned. That's Romans chapter five. We've all sinned, we've all broken God's law. And because of that, we have created a debt to God that there's only one payment for. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. 
Because I've sinned against a holy God, I am born spiritually dead. The only way to be made alive is through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we're quickened or made alive from our trespasses and sin through what Jesus has done for us. So I'm born spiritually dead because of my sin. I will physically die one day because I have sinned against the holy God and my heart will stop beating. My lungs will stop taking in air. They will dig a hole. They will put me in it and I will be dead physically because of my sin. But the Bible speaks in Revelation chapter 20 about a judgment that's coming. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment, Hebrews tells us. The judgment that comes at the end of our life for those who die without Christ is the worst death of all. It's an eternal death. The Bible says those whose names were not found written in the Lamb's book of life were cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. This is the second death. So you're born spiritually dead, you'll die physically, and you'll die an eternal death because of your sin. This is what you have earned, death, death, death. Worst news anybody could ever possibly hear in their entire life. But here's where the gospel gets good. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter five, verse number eight but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ died in my place. And so I deserve to die, but Jesus came and died in my place. But I have to receive his payment for my sins. I have to allow him to pay the debt that I owe God. I have to say that I'm willing to let Jesus die in my place. To do that, I have to turn from my sin and turn to Christ. The Bible word for that is repentance. It means a change of mind that results in a change of heart, which results in a change of action and a change of direction. And when I repent of my sins and turn to Jesus, the Bible says I am saved. I am born again by the Spirit of God, the Bible tells us. And that's really important because Jesus says in John chapter three, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ died, was buried, and was resurrected for the sins of mankind. That's the gospel. Anything that you add to that message or anything that you take away from that message pollutes the gospel. To use Paul's word here, it perverts the gospel. And we can't allow anything to muddy the water. It's a very clear message. You deserve to go to hell because of your sin. Jesus died in your place. Turn from your sin, accept Christ as Savior, and you will be forgiven forever, adopted into the family of God. Very simple message. So simple, a child can understand and receive that gift of eternal life. So when we begin to, through religion, muddy the waters and make it difficult to understand, oh, you have to take a class to go to heaven. You have to finish a course to go to heaven. Uh, you have to memorize prayers to be uh, able to be baptized. Baptism will save you. Church membership will save you. Communion will save you. Confession will save you. When we begin to add to the gospel, we pervert the gospel. And know this, God doesn't want the gospel to be confusing. The Bible says God's not the author of confusion. God wants it to be crystal clear. So the idea that the gospel becomes so convoluted and confusing that we can't fully understand it without someone telling us, a minister explaining to us the Bible, that's not the gospel. The gospel is very simple. Another way to explain the gospel in simpler terms, Jesus Christ died in place of sinners. It's another way to explain the gospel. I deserve to die, Jesus took my place, I put my faith and trust in him, to save me and him alone. The fact that Jesus died in place of sinners, I think it's a beautiful way to say it. We sometimes use the term substitutionary atonement, which means that Jesus Christ stood in my place and received the wrath that I deserved because of his love for me, and he paid the price once and for all for my sins for all of eternity. And what an what a awesome, awesome picture of the gospel. One author put it this way. I like this way too. Again, I don't believe we can have enough ways to explain the gospel. I still read books, evangelism books, because I want to 
be able to explain the gospel better or in different ways or using different illustrations, uh, to, a way to help people to understand this incredible truth that will change their life and change their eternity. One author put it this way, God is holy, man is not. Jesus Christ died in our place, and you must respond to the gospel, every person individually. God, man, Jesus responds. And each one of those you can spend a lot of time on. Talk about God's holiness and how he's perfect in every way. He created a law for man to live by, but no man can live up to that because man has fallen. Man is a sinner. Man has rebelled against the holy God. And how Jesus Christ came to pay the price for our sin. Jesus Christ died in our place. Jesus took upon himself our sins. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, man, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin. He didn't just take the punishment for our sin. He became sin for us. Why? So that we might be made the righteousness of God. How do we do that? In Christ Jesus. Man, that verse will make your head explode. So good. But you have to make a response. I can't pray for you to be saved. You've got to make that decision for yourself. And friend, if there's never been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior, make tonight that night. Please don't hit the double doors in the back until you're 100% sure when you die, you're going to heaven. First John 5, 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life, even to them who believe on the name of the Son of God. That's a promise from God's word. You don't have to hope so, think so, maybe so. You can know for sure your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. How do we do that? The gospel. That's where the power is at. The Bible says it's the power unto salvation. Romans chapter one, verse number 16. Oh man, that's where the good stuff is at. And folks, you and I must defend to the death, the purity of the gospel. It's that important. That's why this church exists. This church exists to help you to have the tools you need to live for Jesus every day and to be ambassadors of the gospel. That's our job. And if we ever get off of the mission of going and winning people to Christ and seeing them baptized and seeing them discipled or taught the word, we've missed out on the mission of what the church exists for. And when we fail to present the message of the gospel, we just become motivational speakers. That's it. And friend, we can't afford that. Too much is at stake. Heaven and hell is at stake. Eternity is at stake. That's why this is so important. Before we jump into the rest of the message, that was just the introduction. Um, before we jump into the rest of the message, I want to give a word of warning and a word of caution. The Bible says that knowledge puffs up, that our fleshly nature by default, the more that we learn, the smarter we think we are. And the more proud we become and the more prideful we are in our interactions with other people, friends, that's not the spirit of Christ. Jesus Christ was humble. He knew the truth. He stood for the truth. He did not compromise a single inch of the truth. But he always did it in love. He always did it with respect. And he always did it with compassion. So, some things we're going to talk about tonight, we're going to talk about a false gospel. A week before last, we took a look at the false gospel of works, the idea that we can work our way to heaven, or the, the idea that we can be good enough or have enough religion to go to heaven one day. That's a false gospel for sure. Tonight, we're taking a look at a, a, a gospel that is not a gospel that's very prevalent uh, in our society today, very prevalent even on our own island here today. It's the prosperity gospel, which is not a gospel at all sometimes referred to as the prosperity gospel or the word of faith movement. The idea that God exists for us, what we can get from it. And again, I wanna let you know before we jump into this. If you go to work tomorrow and tell somebody, oh yeah, I heard last night at church about your church and they do X, Y, and Z. Folks, you missed the whole point. Please don't do that. And if, if I ever found out about someone from our church that decides to get on Facebook and post stupid pictures tonight or uh, try to stir up strife on the internet, please know you're gonna be talking with me about that and you're either gonna remove it from the internet or you're gonna leave our church. I'm serious about that. You say, you can't make me do that. Read the Bible. 
You're causing strife. You're causing division. You're not exhibiting the spirit of Christ. You have no place in the body of Christ. You need to either repent and stay or you need to continue in your sin and leave. Simple as that. The idea that we would come to church to get ammo to go argue with people is not Christian living. The idea that we would know our faith well enough to choose truth from error and be discerning Christians is what the Bible's all about. First Peter, that you would grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Paul writes the entire book of Galatians to a church that had been won over by a false gospel. And he says, guys, you can't stand for this. This is wrong on a hundred different levels and I'm not gonna stand for it and you shouldn't either. Again, the idea is that we're not gonna allow false teaching to infiltrate our church. We're not going to high five other people who are false teachers. I'm not gonna share a Bible quote on the internet from a false teacher, even if what they say might be biblically sound because I'm not gonna endorse what they say. Again, I, I just read through this this morning in my Bible, First uh, and Second Peter, First uh, and Second and Third John, and, and <laughs> I'm telling you this, it just lit my soul up. I think it was, um, it was uh, I can't even remember, it all runs together. If ever happened to you read the Bible, it just all runs together. But it's either Peter or John, one says, if you see a false teacher, don't bid them Godspeed, don't go with them, don't, don't be on their side or for them, separate from them. If someone is leading people away from the gospel and to an eternity in hell, I'm not gonna be for them, simple as that. We're not on the same team. Now, again, someone doesn't have to have Baptists on their church name to, for me to be on their team. They have to be a Bible-believing Christian who believes the gospel and the gospel alone for salvation. If that's the case, I don't care if you call it uh, Billy Joe Jim Bob's Country Creek Church. It doesn't matter to me what you call it. And again, the idea that we're the only people with the truth is also an equal fallacy. The height of arrogance is to say that our church is the only ones that have the truth and we're just gonna hunker down until Jesus comes. That's so arrogant when churches think that. We're not the only people with the truth. Anybody with the Bible that interprets it correctly within context is also our brother in Christ. So again, please don't leave with a spirit of arrogance. Pride causes contention, the Bible tells us. Pride causes drama. Just don't do it, simple as that. But I do want you to know the truth. Again, much of the New Testament was written to combat false teaching so that you would know the truth, to realize truth from error. To say, well, isn't that what the Bible says? Isn't there a verse that says that that's the case? Sure, we can find a Bible verse for anything that we want, but that doesn't make it right. As we look through uh, this uh, here tonight, I came across uh, one pastor had uh, written a message about what was the prosperity gospel, how do you spot it? He gave six indications of this. Uh, it, some of them are kind of long, and some of you I know want to take really good notes, and if you don't have time to write it all down, email me later, I'll send you a copy of my notes. He said, one way to spot the prosperity gospel or this word of faith movement is the absence of serious doctrine of the biblical necessity and the normalcy of suffering. The idea that suffering isn't normal. We shouldn't have to go through that. Only people that are in sin go through suffering. That couldn't be further from the truth or the absence of a clear and prominent doctrine of self-denial is a tip that something is amiss. Again, the idea that the Bible and the gospel is not about the world. It's not about Jesus. It's not about God's glory. It's about me. It's about what I can get from it. If that's the case, something's not right there. The absence of serious exposition of Scripture. This is really important as well. Uh, at Hui Kala Baptist Church, we strive for every message to be an expositional message. Uh, again, this morning was an application message. I told you that ahead of time. Uh, last week, I had the opportunity to preach for my friend Chris Chadwick in San Diego. I told them from the beginning, this is not an expository message. This is an application message. Sometimes we need those. But for the most part, we need to say, what does the Bible say? Why was it written? Who is it written to? What's the context in which it was written? How do we apply that to our lives in the totality of Scripture? That's what the expositional preaching goes. Know this expositional preaching is biblical preaching. Uh, the word exposition comes from the idea of exposing, the idea that we're gonna open up the Bible and look at it for what it is. Another type of preaching would be topical preaching. Hey, we're gonna look at the idea of love and we're gonna grab 20 different verses from all over the Bible that talk about love. That would be a topical message. 
very, very handful of times those things are necessary. Uh, for example, if you want to talk about uh, the mercy of God, there's not any one passage we can go to that is the mercy passage. You think of love, if we want to expose what love looks like, where do we go? First Corinthians 13, man, it tells us all about it from beginning to end there. We can expose the scripture for that. Topical preaching just allows us to say what we want to say and use some Bible verses to back it up. That's not helpful. We need expository preaching that tells us what the Bible says. On Sunday mornings, we normally go through verse by verse through the Bible. On the Sunday nights, we're going verse by verse through the book of Galatians. That's expository Bible preaching. Know this, when you leave Hui Kala Baptist Church, if the, the Lord transfers you somewhere or sends you somewhere else, look for a church that has expository Bible preaching. Do they say what the Bible says in context and stay with a passage of Scripture as opposed to just hopping all over the place with the Bible? Expository preaching. What does God say through his word? Fourth indication of a prosperity uh, gospel, word of faith teaching church, the absence of dealing with tensions in scripture. Hey, let me just tell you this. The Bible's a hard book. And anybody who says the Bible's written to make you happy, uh, the Bible is, is God's uh, uh, book for helping you grab the gusto in life. Uh, the Bible's God's book for helping you always succeed in everything that you lay your hand to. You just haven't read the Bible because the Bible's a hard book. Even the apostles. Jesus said to them, hey, no man should ever put away his wife unless in the case of adultery. And Jesus gave some other qualifications with that as well. And the apostles even stopped and scratched their head and they go, that's a hard saying. Kind of hard to hear that. How can you have a family that loves Jesus whose baby dies. You see, Prosperity Gospel never talks to you about that. They talk to you about the fact that if you have enough faith and if you pray enough and if, if you're good enough, then maybe God will heal that situation. It never helps you to deal with the different tensions in Scripture. God is love. God is love. Yes, but God is also holy. God is merciful. God is merciful. Yes, but God is also a God of judgment and wrath. There has to be balance. And unfortunately, churches that don't take the Bible seriously don't have to deal with balance because they cherry-pick verses that, that help them to have a big, huge pep rally. It helps get everybody fired up and on their feet and clapping and excited. But they never actually deal with the difficult parts of Scripture. Church leaders who have exorbitant lifestyles. You just have to spend five minutes on YouTube to find the garbage that's out there, people wanting to buy Gulfstream jets for their pastor. What? There was a, a show on television. You don't even Google it. It's terrible, I'm sure. Uh, it was called The Preachers of L.A., and it was all these pastors who drove Bentleys and Ferraris and stuff like that and lived in these huge mansions, and it was, it, it was had, and their wives had their uh, these really long fingernails, and they had their hair all did up really high, and they were all catty and saying ugly things about each other. Stop it. Just stop. Good grief. Exorbitant lifestyle. I don't know if some of you, several people sent me the article because uh, I, I said once upon a time that my dream car was a Lamborghini. I think it'd be fun to drive around the block a couple times. I don't want it for sure. Uh, but uh, I said once upon a time that would be a dream car for me. And there was a pastor in North Carolina, I think, that bought his wife a Lamborghini for their anniversary. $200,000 SUV he bought her. Well, the story comes out later and he was having an affair on his wife and he gave her this gift to make up for it instead. Guess what? Not only is he living an exorbitant lifestyle, not only has he disqualified himself from pastoral ministry, but he was still in the, in the pulpit the next week, still preaching. You know why? Because they don't care about the scripture. They don't care what the Bible says. They don't take the Bible seriously. They just know this guy cried some crocodile tears and said he was sorry. We're going to forgive him and just move on because God's obviously blessing him if he's buying a Lamborghini, right? Hey, none of that adds up biblically. It's a prominence of self and marginalization of the greatness of God. You see, it's not about the glory of God. It's not about what I can do for Jesus. It's about what Jesus can do for me. It's not about how great God is. It's about how good I am and how I deserve these things from God. And again, all of this is toxic to the core. You see, the prosperity gospel succeeds as it plays into our selfish, carnal desires. The idea that God exists to make me healthy, wealthy, and wise, I love that idea of a God like that. I love the idea in my flesh 
of a God who's just sitting around in heaven waiting for me to pray so he can just give me whatever I want. I love the idea in my flesh of a God that I say, hey, I need a hundred bucks and I just open up my mailbox and there's a hundred dollars there. I love the idea of that in my flesh. And unfortunately, people who are not Christians love the idea of a God who is Santa Claus. You send him a list and you wake up and everything that you've ever wanted is there waiting for you under the tree beautifully wrapped. Man, who wouldn't want to serve a God like that? But you know what? The God of the Bible is not like that. The God of the Bible allows us to go through suffering. Did you know that the God of the Bible, sometimes we cry out to and he doesn't answer us right away? That's the God of the Bible. Read the Psalms. How long will I cry out and you not hear me? People are circling around me that want to kill me and take my head off. Why are you letting them do this? That's the God of the Bible. But you see, the prosperity gospel teaches people, hey, if you give enough, if you have enough faith, you're gonna be happy. Who doesn't wanna be happy? You're gonna be financially blessed. Who, doesn't, who wants to be poor? You're gonna be healed of everything that ails you. Who wants to be sick? And it plays into our carnal desire of a God that lives for us, not a God that we have to live for ourselves. You see, the Bible must be read and interpreted within the context in which it was written. This is critical. If you get nothing other than the gospel tonight, get this. The Bible must be read and interpreted within context. This is so important. This morning I quoted a verse from Malachi chapter number three that talked about tithing. It was written to Jews who had been stealing from God and had been breaking the Levitical law. For me to say that means you as 20th century, 21st century Christians who don't tithe or breaking this law that God has here is just not faithful to the text in which it was written. Now, please understand, there's a biblical principle that goes from that. You take what belongs to God, God is not pleased, but there's no direct application there. And we've got to talk about context there. Because when we pull scripture out of context, we can make it say whatever we want it to say. When I take a snippet of the Bible, I, I can make it say whatever I want it to say. For example, this was written in Matthew chapter four, verse number nine. And he saith unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. You got that verse uh, there, uh, Carla? Take a look at this verse right here. You got a verse handy? There you go. He saith unto them, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Sounds like a good verse that if we worship God, he's gonna give us everything that we want, right? That's what it looks like. What's the context of that? Does anybody know who actually said that? The devil said it, Right? Who did he say it to? He said it to Jesus. Fall down and worship me and I'll give you everything. But you see how we can take a verse and I can make you think that it says what I want it to say? But if you look at the context, the devil is tempting Jesus Christ in the wilderness here. And he's trying to get Jesus to worship himself, to worship the devil. And you look at that and you go, that's crazy. I know. This is what happens when we don't use the Bible in context. As we look at some serious false teaching that comes along with the word of faith movement. First of all, the idea that you can have whatever you want if you have enough faith. Whatever you want. Sometimes the word of faith movement has been referred to as the name it and claim it. I'm just gonna say this and I automatically can take possession of that because that's what God promises me. And you say, why would anybody really think that? Again, it goes back to context. Uh, if you take a look at uh, Matthew chapter 17, verse number 20, and we just look at this one verse here. And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove thence to yonder place, and shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. So again, in their mind, using this verse out of context, you just need to have enough faith, and your faith can move mountains. If you believed enough you could move Diamond Head and send it off into the ocean if you wanted to, according to this verse right here. And so go out and try it tonight. And if it doesn't happen, it's because you didn't have the faith of a grain of mustard seed. It's your fault. It's your fault that it didn't happen because Jesus says you can move mountains. Well, let's just step back and look at the context of this. 
when he says your faith can move mountains, he's speaking in hyperbole there. He doesn't, no person has ever spoken to a mountain and it moved, ever, other than God himself. So the idea that we can speak to something and it just automatically happens because we have enough faith is, is a fallacy to begin with. Secondly, the idea of this, that when things fail, well, it's not God's fault because God never fails, right? That's what the Bible tells us. That's a certain truth. It's not the Bible's fault because the Bible never fails. That's a true thought as well. So the only person's fault it could be is yours. You're praying for grandma to get healed from cancer and she dies. You know whose fault that is? Jerish. You didn't pray hard enough. Obviously, you didn't have the faith of a grain of mustard seed. Again, the idea that we can change the sovereignty of God by what we say or do just doesn't add up in Scripture. The problem with this thinking also is it never allows us to rest in the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is the idea that God from beginning to end knows everything and has a plan mapped out and we can trust him because he's sovereign. But you see, if you and I get to manipulate God every time we think we have enough faith, then God's not really in charge, we are. And the problem with that is it doesn't allow people to suffer gracefully. I read an article online about a pastor who had, uh, was a word of faith pastor and he got cancer and he didn't tell anybody. And he began to lose a lot of weight. And he began to tell people he was on a different diet, trying to lose weight and be more healthy. But the fact of the matter is he was dying. And he couldn't admit to anybody that he was dying because that would mean that he didn't have enough faith. And so it didn't allow a man to stare death in the face with grace and faith, knowing that God was in charge and trusting in the sovereignty of God and that God would care for everything. It made a man face death with fear that he would get caught out as a fraud. It doesn't allow us to rest in the sovereignty of God. Next false teaching, you can have whatever you want if you ask in Jesus' name. Hey, if I want it to stop raining today, I need to say in the name of Jesus, it needs to stop raining. If I want my bills to be paid this month, I need to say in the name of Jesus, my bills are paid. If I want to get better, I need to say in the name of Jesus, I'm better. Where would you get that? John 14, 14, Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. There you go, just tack on Jesus' name onto the end of it and you have whatever you want. Friend, this type of thinking knows no end. I honestly, honestly, I'm not making this up. I know of people who sit in a Mercedes and say, in the name of Jesus, I declare this Mercedes to be mine. I don't think that's what Jesus meant. I don't think Jesus meant, and again, if we look at the context of it, if we look at the context, Jesus is saying, I'm opening up a relationship with you that you never had with your heavenly father before. No longer do you have to go through a priest. I'm making a way for you to come directly to him in my name and boldly approach the throne of grace. Again, we have to look at the context of it. You can't look at a verse like that and just say, well, Jesus said whatever we ask, he's gonna give it to us. Again, you don't look at the totality of Scripture. James tells us a lot of the things you pray for, you don't get because you're trying to consume it upon your own lust. You're a selfish sinner. That's why your prayers don't get answered. Again, we have to look at the totality of Scripture altogether. The next lie, whatever you say will come to pass. It has to. Again, the idea that I can say whatever I want and it will come to pass because of what the Bible says, Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. They that shall love it shall eat of the fruit thereof. So the words that I have, I can speak life or I can speak death into someone's life. If I say that I'm no longer poor, then God is obligated to make me no longer poor. If I'm sick, I don't need to take medicine. I don't have to drink NyQuil. I just need to say, I am well. I am no longer sick. I saw a clip on YouTube that this lady says, everybody's saying get the flu shot. I say, we already got the flu shot. We got God's promises. No, get the flu shot. It's free at Costco. 
Again, the idea that I just speak something into existence and it happens isn't biblical. The only person who has ever spoke anything into existence is God himself. And if I can speak things into existence by my words, I place myself on the same level as God. And friend, that's a dangerous place to be. The idea here behind this verse is that our words are powerful. Again, if we look at the totality of Scripture, James tells us that as well. This one is, I believe, one of the most blasphemous. You are created in the image of God, therefore you are a, and they use a little g, God. If you are created in the image of God, basically you are a little God. So you have all the rights that God has. You have every attribute that God has at your disposal. And you have the ability to make things happen. Again, you have the ability to make things happen. If your mind can believe it, your heart can achieve it, speak it into existence. I am rich. Repeat after me. I am rich. It's just, it's scary. And again, the idea that we would place ourselves on the same level as God. You know, when it says, Genesis 1, 26, this is one of the verses they use, and God said, let us make man in our image after our own likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. See, God created you in his image to have dominion. You were created to rule just like God. But read the rest of the verse. You have dominion over animals. Congratulations. That's it. You weren't created to be God. There is only one God. This is a lie, again, that we sometimes, even as Bible-believing Christians, want to believe. God wants you to be happy. God doesn't want Christians to be sad. What kind of father wants his kids to be sad? What kind of father wants his kids to go through suffering? What kind of father wants his kids to be broke? What kind of father wants his kids to drive run-down, beat-up cars? What kind of father wants a, a child of his to live in an apartment like the apartment you live in? Dangerous thinking. Again, the idea that God wants us to be happy, healthy, successful. One of the verses they use, John 10, 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. <laughs> Friend, if you think having the abundant life that Jesus came and died for for you is driving a nice car, you've missed the entire purpose of the gospel. You've missed the whole story of the Bible. If you haven't figured it out so far, the problem with this thinking is that the Bible is a story about me. The Bible is a story about how I can be fulfilled, how I can have what I want, how I can be happy, how I can be successful. Friend, the Bible is not a book about you. It's a story of Jesus, cover to cover, and the greatness and glory of who he is. Another lie, Jesus died for your physical healing and sickness is a lack of faith. That if you're sick, you just need to declare yourself well. And people who have faith don't get sick. One of the verses that is so grossly misused. Isaiah 53, 5 is the prophecy of the suffering of Christ on the cross and the victory that he won there. The verse that they use out of context, Isaiah 53, 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. And the healing there is obviously in their mind a physical healing. I was sick two weeks ago, and I had a terrible cough. I felt like junk. My, I felt like an elephant was sitting on my chest. I had to I preach through it anyways, and I just sucked it up and got through it. My voice was trashed, and I had somebody on the way out. And I told me at church, Pastor, stay after it. By his stripes, we're healed. Stop. <laughs> That's not what that means. I'm healed of my spiritual sickness by the suffering of Christ. Again, just look at the context of the verse. It has nothing to do with physical healing. My transgressions, my iniquities, that is my sickness, is my sin. My sickness isn't the sniffles. Hey, Jesus didn't die so I don't have to take NyQuil. 
That makes a mockery of the suffering of Christ. This one gets me every time. The children of the king deserve nice things. I heard a pastor one time say that he had just bought a brand new Harley Davidson. The pastor said that in front of his congregation. And God gave him that because he tithes. And if you can't afford to buy a brand new Harley, it's probably because you're not tithing. That's bad Bible teaching, folks. I'm going to take it one step further. That's spiritual manipulation, folks. Heard a pastor one time say, children of the king don't wear tattered clothes. Okay. Maybe you should read the Bible. The son of man hath no place to lay his head. Animals have a place to sleep tonight, but I don't. Do you not realize that our Savior was a homeless Bible teacher? That's who he was? Oh, well, children of the king won't have to go through suffering. What kind of of father, what kind of king allows his children to go through suffering? Have you read Paul's prison epistles? I'd encourage you to read those. You know what Paul says? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Where did he write that letter from? Was he sitting on a beach somewhere? No, he wrote from prison. But again, oh, Paul's faith couldn't get him out of prison. Actually, Paul's faith got him put to death instead. Again, none of this holds water the second you begin to go a half inch deep into the teaching of it because it all falls apart. That's because appropriate context in the totality of Scripture completely and totally obliterates false teaching. The Bible protects us against false teaching 100% of the time. It's funny, sometimes the uh, verses they use for the uh, children of the king deserve nice things. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Jesus is our brother, God is our father, and we are heirs together with Christ. And it's funny, there's always a dot, dot, dot at the end of that whenever they quote it. You know why? You know what the rest of the verse says? So that we, if we suffer with him, we may be also glorified together. Oh yeah, let's leave that suffering part out at the end. I like the whole heirs with Christ part instead. I like the whole get everything that belongs to Jesus. I don't like the suffering part. Let's leave that out and just make three little dots there. And we can put that on a coffee cup and put it in the church bookstore. We can even create a, a Christian coffee shop called Hebrews. And we'll put that little vote there, that little verse there on all of our cups. And we'll just talk about how we're children of the king, joint heirs with Christ. Yeah, you forgot the suffering part. It's not convenient to your narrative. Again, appropriate context and the totality of Scripture completely and totally obliterates false teaching. It murders it. It destroys it. False teaching will not stand up to context and the totality of Scripture. Again, I can take any one verse and make it say whatever I want it to say. But I can't do that when I look at the context of it. This is why every Christian needs discipleship. You need to know what the Bible says, why you believe it, and where to find it in the Bible. It's that critical. Some people ask the question, well, pastor, this is so obvious. How do people get away with stuff like this? How do we have guys like Joel Osteen on TV just saying, believe it, God wants you to be happy, God wants you to be rich? He had an interview with Oprah where she, she was talking to him about this, and she goes, can you believe there's some people that are on you because they say, you say that God wants you to be rich? And he kind of laughed at that idea, and he says, well, how, God wants us to be a blessing to others. I'm with you so far. How can we be a blessing to other people if we're poor, if we're broke? <laughs> you lost me at that last part. Again, the idea, he quotes, quotes there, blessing with financial prosperity. For every Creflo Dollar, for every Kent Copeland, for every uh, Jesse Duplantis, all of that is word of faith nonsense. How do, how do they get by with stuff like that? How do these people have massive churches that give millions of dollars to fund their false gospel? False teaching is prevalent due to biblical ignorance. People just don't know the Bible. Look, you sit down for one second at a pastor who has bought his wife a Lamborghini that was $200,000. You sit down with the Bible for five minutes. 
And the Bible says that a pastor must not love filthy money, must not be materialistic. You see that guy's already disqualified. He must have a good testimony, disqualified already. Above reproach, disqualified already. Pastor has to have a good testimony, not only with the people in the church, but unsaved people in the community he has to have a good testimony with. Disqualified, 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 disqualified. Five minutes with the Bible, and you see, this guy has no business pastoring. Not now, not ever. He's ruined it. Well, then why didn't his church vote him out? They just don't know the Bible? Simple as that. False teaching is prevalent because Satan's a great deceiver. I'm going to say this with every bit of love that I have in my heart, but people who subscribe to a word of faith doctrine like what we've talked about tonight have believed a satanic gospel. You say, that's strong words, Pastor. The Bible says that Satan is the father of all lies. The only person that wants to take the focus off of Christ and put it on you and how comfortable your life is is not the Lord, it's not the Holy Spirit, it's not Jesus Christ himself, it's the devil. And when we muddy the waters of the gospel, we make the gospel about something that's not the gospel, it's satanic at the core. False teaching is also prevalent due to a lack of discipleship. People don't know the Bible and people don't want to follow Jesus. This is how people raise money for a new Gulfstream jet. This huckster, Kent Copeland, on YouTube was talking with his other false teacher friend and says that he doesn't like to fly commercial planes because there's demons on there. And he needs to be up with the Lord. When he's in 30,000 feet in the air, he's closer to the Lord. And when he's not flying coach, he doesn't have to deal with the demonic activity. He can just spend time with the Lord. Come on. People still gave millions of dollars to help this dude buy a jet. Why? Lack of discipleship. Look, if you knew the Bible and you knew the character of God and you understood the heart of God, God's heart is not that men would fly around on private jets. The heart of Jesus Christ is that he would get a towel and wrap it around himself and begin to wash people's feet. That's the heart of Christ. Humility. Final thought here tonight, we're done. I know I went a little bit long, but thanks for your patience. Any teaching that takes the focus off of Jesus' finished work on the cross and places it on man's temporary comfort is satanic in nature. It's heavy. Whoever that is, tell them I'll call them back. Tell them I'm wrapping up, I'm almost done. Any teaching. Again, if you look at it, if you read through John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit's gonna come. And the Holy Spirit, he says, uh, in uh, John 15 or 16, he says, the Holy Spirit's not gonna speak of himself, he's gonna speak of me. The Holy Spirit's job is to put all the focus on Christ and, and what he's done and what he's taught us and what he's said. Well, if that's the job of the Holy Spirit to put the focus on Christ, who puts the focus on us? Who makes the gospel about what I can get from it? Who makes the gospel about how comfortable my life is? Who would make the gospel about how first world nice my life is. Who would do that? Definitely not the Lord, definitely not the Holy Spirit, definitely not Jesus himself, it's only the devil. It's satanic, simple as that. Again, I'm not mad at any person. I hate the devil's guts. I hate a false gospel, whatever flavor it comes in of the week. I detest the idea that Jesus Christ died for me to live in a really nice house and drive a really nice car and never get sick and have everything that my heart desires. It's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is Jesus Christ died because I was deeply, neck deep in my sin and had no other hope and Jesus died for me because of his love and compassion. And the only thing that he requires of me now is my entire life to be a committed follower of his, of his, to share the truth and the story of what he's done in my life and to be Christ for other people. That other people might see Christ through me. That's what he expects of me. And friend, everything else is junk. Everything else is rubbish. And let me just tell you, I would not say that just because somebody goes to a word of faith teaching church that they're not saved. People are saved by the gospel, the true gospel, the real deal. 
faith in Christ. I would also say, just because someone goes to a Baptist church does not make them saved. The church you attend has nothing to do with your salvation. But I would say this. Anybody who subscribes to this as their gospel, Jesus died for me to be happy. Jesus died not for my sins or for my eternity, but for my temporary comfort is not saved. My friend, we should pray for folks like that. We, we should pray against teaching like that. We should pray against churches like that because it sends people to hell. This, this message here tonight, again, I went a little bit longer than I normally would. Again, I'm super passionate about this, but our island has been overrun with word of faith prosperity teaching that Christianity is this cushy lifestyle. And if you ever suffer or you ever have bad things happen in your life, it's your fault because you didn't have enough faith. And friends, that's the opposite of the Bible. And it hurts my heart to see that. And I want us not to go and picket word of faith churches. We're not gonna go and, and blast these people online. We're not gonna be ugly and post, uh, here's a message that all of my friends that go to this church need to hear. If we do that, friend, we're gonna have a sit down, the two of us, I promise you that. But we need to say, we've got the truth and we wanna share the truth. These people are not on the same team as we are. If you're teaching a prosperity gospel, that is not the gospel of Christ. It is a false gospel, and we are not brothers in Christ. These people unknowingly, I say unknowingly because I don't believe anybody set out to do the work of the devil today. These people are unknowingly doing the work of Satan himself. I know that's a heavy charge. Again, we are not the only church in town with the truth or the, the true gospel. I'm just saying that this exists on our island. This exists in our city. This exists less than a mile away from where we're standing tonight. It's serious business, folks. But I say this to help you to be, first of all, discerning. Secondly, passionate about the gospel. I love the story of what Jesus has done for me. I love the story of how I was deep in my sin and Jesus saved me. I love the story of what Christ has done for me, through me, and in me. I love the story of people who got saved, who got baptized, who are now being discipled. One of the men that got baptized today said to me after he got saved, he said, Pastor, I realize my wife's been going to church her whole life. I don't know anything about the Bible. I realize that I'm behind the curve on where I need to be to lead my family spiritually. Do you have a way that I could get up to speed and learn the Bible? I said, I do. It's called discipleship. Where does it start? I told him when it started. He goes, Sign me up. I got to get on that. I had another person who uh, sent me a text and said, hey, pastor, we want to teach our kids the Bible and we never got taught as kids. Do you have any resources that we could do to do that? And I thought, man, we need to get resources for that. We had a book table today of, of books full of stuff like that to help people teach the Bible. What is that? It's people finding the truth of the true gospel and wanting more because that's what the true gospel does. And I want you to be passionate about the gospel the greatest story ever told. It's life and death. It's heaven and hell. It's eternity. And it's worth fighting for. It's worth standing for. I can stand for the truth in love. And friend, let me help you with this. It's not arrogant to say that the Bible is right and everyone else is wrong. <laughs> now, when you say I'm always right and you're always wrong, that's super arrogant. But the Bible is always true. And if the Bible disagrees with what you say, I have to say what you say is wrong because the Bible's always right. We don't have to give in to a pluralistic society that says everybody's right, everybody can be right, you know, that, you know, everybody gets an A on that assignment, you know, because you did your best. Every kid gets a participation trophy because you did your best, you know. Everybody gets to be right today. Everybody gets to have their own belief system and we all just wind up in heaven, whatever that means to you. We don't have to buy into that. We can say, I, I stand with the gospel, I stand with the Bible, and because I love you, I want you to know the God that I know. Because I care about you, I want you to know for sure that when you die, that heaven's your home. Because I love Jesus so much and he's made such a change in my life, I want him to make the same change in your life too. That's why I love the gospel. But you can't stand by and watch a false gospel outshine the truth. So, 
whatever that means for you this week, whether it's you know the gospel better so you can share it better, uh, whether it's you take a, a book off the back table called Paid in Full that you can give to somebody that's a gospel presentation, do that. It's taking one of our uh, gospel tracts that we have and passing it to a neighbor this week or a coworker, or just leaving it somewhere where somebody can find it. Do that this week because of your love for Jesus and your love for the gospel.